as becomes the Word of God this morning, we are thinking today about that idea of faith. And so often in our world today, faith is thought of in opposition to logic and reason and science. And that to believe in the things of Christianity is to have blind faith. To turn your eyes away from the things we know to be true and believe foolish and impossible things. It is a kind of leap away from what is real and provable based on nothing more than what we want to be true. That is at least how faith is described by many in our world today. It is looking away from the things that are provable and real and we know to be true, true and believing in things we have no reason to believe as true, but we just want them to be true. And I think that's wrong. And I think it's wrong because the Bible says it's wrong. Because what we see in our passage today is faith is kind of blind. Faith does look at certain real, provable, measurable things and say, that's not what I'm looking at. It looks at something else instead. And so in our passage today, what we see is an excellent discussion of what faith is. How it is blind in a way but it is also fixed on something firm and true. And so let me invite you to open up your Bibles this morning or open your bulletins to our sermon text. We are finishing up chapter 4 of Paul's letter to the Romans today. This was the letter written roughly 30 years after Jesus' ministry. It was written by the Apostle Paul to Christians in Rome. He has been discussing Abraham all chapter. And we see now, beginning in verse 18, this discussion of faith. Let us hear the word of God, verses 18 through 25. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word, your sure and certain word, our firm foundation that we can trust. So God, I pray that you would help me to faithfully proclaim your word, that nothing would get lost in translation, but rather instead that you would powerfully work through the proclamation of your word, that your spirit would go forth in the power of your word and in answer to our prayers and so transform us. 
and bring new life and faithfulness, strengthening us, O God. And so open our ears to hear. Open our hearts and minds to understand your truth. Give us eyes to see the things that are unseen and spoken of in your word so that our faith would indeed grow strong. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we look at our passage today, we're going to kind of follow the structure of what is laid out in verse 18. Paul writes this about Abraham in verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope. I don't know about you, that sounds kind of like a riddle to me. So in hope, he believed against hope. So what is this hope here? Well, he has faith in one kind of hope as opposed to this other kind of hope. And so we're going to look at these two kinds of hopes. We're going to ask a question about each of them before moving on to how this applies to us, which is exactly what Paul does, is he brings this to bear on our situation in the last few verses of the text. So first, the first question I want us thinking about is, what is our faith blind to? As I mentioned before, people talk about faith as something in opposition to reason or evidence, and that they view faith as some blind leap in the dark. And there is some truth in that, as Paul will write. There is a sense in which biblical faith just disregards certain pieces of information. And as we see in our passage, Paul continues to use Abraham as an example for us. And so what we find here is that God promised old, childless Abraham that he will become the father of many nations. But Abraham was, and let me say this again, old and childless. And so Paul writes in verse 19, Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So in case you thought I was mean, for calling Abraham old and childless, Paul says his body was as good as dead. Still no kid. And yet, Abraham did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body or when he considered his wife's body. Yes, Abraham was at an age where most people were already dead. And yes, his wife was also very old and had been unable to conceive for her entire life. What's interesting is the Greek word here used for barrenness is not the normal word for childlessness. It is the word for dead. It is the word from which we get our word necrosis, which sounds horrible. And so not only was Abraham as good as dead, Sarah's womb was dead inside of her. And from what Abraham could see, there was zero potential for new life. He had no reason when he considered himself and his wife to believe that he would become the father of many nations. Now this reminds me of our Old Testament reading from 2 Kings, where Jerusalem was under siege from the mighty Assyrians. And their propaganda expert was sent to convince them to surrender. And so the Rob Shaka is telling them, look, look around you. 
Look at the overwhelming army of Assyria. Compare that to your puny army. You don't even have people who can ride a horse to have a chariot. What hope do you have? Look at all the other towns that are rubble now that we have conquered. Which of them survived? How is Jerusalem any different? How is Judah's God any different from those other gods who could not protect their people? Ah, and that is where the Rab Shaka got things wrong. Because yes, from what their eyes could see, Judah's army was far inferior to Assyria. And yes, many other nations had been conquered by the Assyrians. And yes, they had prayed and cried out and sacrificed to all of their gods to no answer. But none of those other nations had the Lord as their God. Their gods were not real gods. And so Rabshakeh's speech, which was designed to get them to doubt, backfired. It strengthened their faith. Because Hezekiah and the others believed God was different from these other so-called gods. Hezekiah knew that his God could protect his people. He knew that the Lord answered prayer. And he knew there was a long history of the Lord flicking away proud foes intent on exterminating God's people. And so even though Hezekiah and all the others were likely very nervous because of what their eyes could see in this very large army, they blinded themselves to those things and clung to who God is and the promises He had made. That's what Paul writes about Abraham as well. We see it in verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Now, they didn't really have mirrors like we do, I don't think, back then. But Abraham, if he had looked in a mirror, had every earthly reason to doubt that he would become a father of many nations. He had decades of evidence to prove uh, this thing isn't going to work out for you and Sarah. Everything he could see was telling him over and over again, you are foolish if you think you and Sarah are going to have a child. If you are going to become a father of many nations. But Abraham blinded himself to those things. He did not put his hope in the things the world puts their hope in. He did not trust his own strength and ability. He did not trust what appeared to be possible. He trusted in God. That God would keep His promise, had the power to do so, and no seeming impossibility was going to stand in God's way. And so he blinds himself to that truth. That brings us to the second question. Okay, so what did his faith rest on then? If you go back to verse 18, Paul wrote, in hope he believed against hope. So Abraham believed against worldly hope. He believed against what his eyes could see. He was blind to those obstacles that should cause him to doubt. So then what was his hope? What did his faith rest on? Well, quite simply, his hope was in God. 
and God's ability to keep a promise. Here's what Paul writes. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Notice that there's a very natural flow going on in this verse. We are told Abraham grew strong in his faith. Okay, how does he grow strong? Well, as he gives glory to God. To give glory to God is to give him the appropriate weight he deserves. To recognize his greatness, his goodness, his faithfulness. And as Abraham gives glory to God, he is then fully convinced, man, if that's who God is, God is both able to keep his promise and committed to keeping his promises. And that then strengthens his faith. If that's who God is, who cares about all this other stuff? Abraham's faith was based on him turning his eyes away from the physical limitations he could see and turning his eyes to the unlimited power of God to keep his promises. Abraham's faith rested on the fact he believed my God can do what is impossible apart from him. And so Abraham's hope was not in some technological innovation, some early in vitro fertilization. It was not, well, if we change our diet and start eating this way or our technique, this and that. No, his hope rested on God and on God alone. That's exactly what our New Testament describes about a definition of faith. That faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. See, it's not that Abraham is blinding himself to all facts. No. He's focusing his eyes on the more important facts. Yes, he's old. Yes, Sarah's womb is dead. But God had also promised, you guys are going to have a child. Abraham, you are going to be the father of many nations. And so what he could see was in conflict with what had been promised. And he looked and he thought, which of these is more important? Well, God said this is going to happen. i got to believe that's going to happen. He knew to trust God more than what his eyes could see. In fact, it is only when this conflict is greatest that our faith grows the most. Just try to imagine an alternative scenario for Abraham. Let's imagine that Abraham was only 60 years old. Okay? So young, right? So he's only 60 years old. And let's imagine that perhaps Sarah had conceived twice before, but had sadly miscarried. Hadn't been able to carry a child to full term. If that had been the case, Abraham would have had a sliver of hope in his natural ability. Only when they are both as good as dead was his faith pushed to be strong enough to believe such an unbelievable, only because of God possible promise. That is how his faith is strengthened. Paul then brings his discussion here to a close in verse 22, and he's returning to his big point of chapter 4. He says that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. 
See, Abram's faith was not just, I believe there is a God. He did, but it was more. He did not abstractly believe that God had power. He believed that, but he believed more. He did not simply believe that God was good and would bless some people in some way. He believed more than that. He believed and trusted God's specific promise that he would be the father of many nations, that he and Sarah would have a son even in their old age. And this trust in God's specific, only God possible promise is what God counted as righteousness to him. That's what Paul says. And as we come to the end of verse 22, you might be thinking, Man, Paul has done a very nice book report on Genesis. Like he has gone back and he's shown a lot of interest in that book and he's told us a lot of interesting facts about those characters. But see, here's the thing. Paul is not a historian geeking out over a guy who lived thousands of years earlier. No. As he points out in verses 23 through 24, the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. That Abraham is not just some guy in the past. He is a pattern of biblical faith that we are called to model. That through Abraham, God shows us a way for sinners to be counted righteous through faith in God's specific promise to do what we ourselves cannot do. And so we are meant to see this hits us. But how? How exactly do we see this kind of Abraham faith in Christians today? What are these specific, hard-to-believe promises that we are called to trust in spite of the evidence because we are, have not been promised children in very old age. But we have been promised other things. That we are called to be blind to what our eyes see and to look upon our glorious God and His gracious promises. So I want to give us three examples of ways that we have these specific promises. One is connected to our Old Testament reading. One is connected to verses 24 and 25 in our text. And one matters very deeply to each and every one of us. So first, we are called to believe that God's kingdom will not be conquered by the forces of the world. We live in a time in history when it feels like we have a rabshaka taunting the church. Especially in America, it feels like Christianity is in sharp decline and there is no way to pull this airplane out of its tailspin. We are just going down. And because of that, some churches have compromised the truth of God in search of acceptance in the world. And other churches are trying to use the tactics of the world to restore God's kingdom by force. And it can feel like believers in Jesus are facing a losing battle. And all we have in front of us are decades of darkness as far as we can see. We fear that people holding to biblical beliefs will continue to be ridiculed and be demonized. 
We worry broadly about the societal consequences if the church falls into greater irrelevance. And so what hope remains for the church when things look so hopeless? Well, we are called in the Scriptures to not let our faith waver when we consider the things that we can see. Because we serve a living God who has promised to build His church. We serve a God who has inaugurated the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we are told that that kingdom will endure forever and ever. We are told to look back at how the church has been oppressed and persecuted before in history and consider that no opposition extinguished the light of the Gospel then, and no opposition will extinguish the light of the Gospel now or into the future. Yes, there will be hardship. Yes, there may be suffering. Yes, what our eyes can see may get so hard that our faith will be pushed to be stronger. But we can hold fast to the truth that there will not be defeat. For Christ has conquered the world and made all things new. And so in hope of Christ and His kingdom, we believe against the worldly hopes that seem so bleak in our world today. That's one way we look at things the way Abraham did. Second, we believe in Christ. Our sins are forgiven and we are counted as righteous. This is what Paul writes in verses 24 and 25. It will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. See, we can confess those truths. And yet when we look at our lives, those truths can feel very far from our minds. We see the sin that has plagued us. We think of our past sins. We think of our continued sinfulness. That each of us know better than everyone else in this room how we ourselves continue to struggle with sin. That day after day, week after week, it seems we are showing no signs of improvement. That we are still selfish rather than self-controlled. We are still greedy more than we are generous. We are still proud more than we are compassionate. And we feel like God has got to be ready to give up on us because I know I would. Our sins start feeling like heavy ropes in which we are tangled and we cannot escape. And we cannot imagine how God could possibly say, you are righteous in light of how little good we have actually done. And yet, in light of all that our eyes can see, God mercifully tells us that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. The word trespass implies those sins where we know we have broken God's commands. That Jesus was handed over for the sins that bother us most. He died that our sins would be forgiven. He rose again that our justification would be assured. Promising us that His death was accepted by God and that He continues to live and plead for us. 
You see, we often say that Jesus died for our sins, and that is true, but he rose for them as well. Because if Jesus remained dead, we'd wonder if his death really accomplished what he said it would do. But through the power of his resurrection, we are assured that our sins are fully paid for, and our righteous Savior can cleanse us of those sins and cover us in his righteousness. And so, in the hope of the cross and the forgiveness and the righteousness that is ours, we believe against the hope we have in self-improvement and doing enough good, and thinking we can clean ourselves up. We hold on to that hope. And then third, we believe, though we die, we have eternal life in Him, and will rise again. I'm going to make this very personal, because the issue of death and eternal life is personal for all of us. As many of you know, my mom unexpectedly died around this time last year. And I saw her after she had died. My eyes saw the life in her was gone. My eyes saw her in the casket at the funeral home. My eyes saw her house as it was cleaned out and emptied. My eyes only see her now in pictures and videos that we treasure And my eyes can only see the plot of ground where her body has been buried. And by every single thing that my eyes can see, I have no earthly hope of ever seeing her again. But in biblical hope, I believe against that earthly hope. Because the Bible testifies that God sent His Son to take on flesh like ours and live among us and then die in our place the very same kind of death. And the Scriptures testify that He was raised from the dead in His body on the third day and appeared to many people showing death did not stop me. Jesus Himself testifies That He is the resurrection and the life. That whoever believes in Him will have eternal life even though they die. And that is the hope we hold on to. The power of God to raise the dead. The promise in His Word that all who believe in Him have eternal life even though we die. I love sunrise service up at Easter. In the cemetery, as we stand there, and it feels like the scoreboard is just against us. We stand in a field of corpses, of people who have died before us, testifying the end has not yet come. We have hope that this will be undone, that life continues beyond what our eyes can see. It is a hope I trust not only for my mother, but for myself. It is a hope I cling to for our brothers and sisters who have gone before us, whether many years ago like Abraham or just generations ago. It is a hope I hold on to for all who come to trust in Jesus, as I hope you do. It is a hope I hold out today to you. A hope not rooted in wishful thinking. A hope not rooting in just what we want to be true 
A hope not rooted in what our eyes can see, but a hope rooted and grounded in the Word of God, the promise of God, the power of God. And so if you are struggling to believe these things, if you find unbelief causing you to waver, the key to strengthening our faith is glorifying God. Do not consider only what your eyes can see, but consider who God is, Consider what He has said. Consider our God is perfect in keeping His promises. And that we serve a living God who has not only conquered all opposition and promised to do it again, He has also conquered sin and He is coming again to show us His final conquering of death. Today, may your faith be strengthened to share the faith of our forefather Abraham. Faith in God, faith in His Word, and faith in our Lord, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for the hope that You give us. Because so much of our life, we don't have hope. We look around and we see decline. We see our own sin. We see death. But Lord, You have made such great promises. Lord, it seemed to Hezekiah that they were going to lose. They didn't. It seemed to Abraham that he and Sarah would die childless. They didn't. It seemed to the disciples that Christ was dead forever. He wasn't. And so God, give us eyes of faith. Strengthen our faith as we glorify you each and every week and each and every day. Because you, O oh God, are faithful to keep your promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.